Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Grow With Soul. I've been away from the podcast over the summer, but I'm so excited to be back in your headphones as we start to, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, head into autumn, which, you know, autumn is like my power season. It's where I feel most at home in my knitwear and with all the turning of the trees. It really seems to be where my energy is unleashed. So I have a few things coming up over the next few months with all that in mind, which you might be interested in. So first up is Basecamp, which is a course for those who are starting out in their business or feel like they're going round and round in circles to get them starting to generate some forward momentum and taking small steps forward without really feeling overwhelmed. So it's a self-led course, but in September I'll be running a sprint, which is loads of accountability and support for those who, like me, actually really need that. I'm also going to be running new online workshops through the autumn, which are actually kind of similar to the podcast. So we'll be talking about a theme, but it's going to be multimedia and really interactive. So we'll be chatting throughout and you can ask questions. So the next one is about creating and communicating value. And that's in September as well. Finally, I'm also starting work on a new kit, which is going to be all about planning and goal setting and reviewing in your business, which will be probably out sometime in October. And a new course, especially for coaches, teachers, mentors, anybody who facilitates change in other people to really help you stand out in a crowded market. So all the links for it, all the things will be in the show notes. As it's our first episode back and a Q&A, it's going to be a bit of a bumper instalment. So I asked for your questions on Instagram. So if you're not following me there, by the way, do do that because it's always where I ask questions of, for input for Grow a Soul. So there's not any particular theme. It's just a real marketing and business question free for all. So I think that's enough ado. So let's get into your questions. Okay, so the first one is, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to create an e-course? So big question. I, th- I think at the end of the last season of the podcast or the last episode to this one was about creating and selling digital products but for e-courses specifically I'd say to really focus in on who it's for and a specific problem that you want to solve because if you start broad they can get so sprawling and you can think oh I need to add this and I need to add that and I need to add this and they end up kind of getting a bit out of control where either you need to charge loads and loads of money for it or you're kind of underpricing it. So really, if you've got an idea, how can that idea break down into like three, four, five other ideas and then focus in on that one? 
So thinking about who is the person that you want to help with your course, get really clear on where they are now. What are they struggling with? Why do they need the course? How are they feeling? And then think about where they would want to be out the other side. What do they want to achieve? How do they feel differently? And then your course content is how you're filling the gap and creating a breadcrumb trail for them to follow to get from where they are now to where they want to get to. So for example, for me, if we think about my Basecamp course, where they are now is that they are starting out and feeling like they don't know where to put their first step or they're a couple of weeks, months in and just feeling frustrated that they're not getting anywhere and they don't really feel like they know what they're doing and where they want to get to out the other side is like they're moving forwards they feel confident that they've got a plan that they feel like they've got a baseline of knowledge that they can build from so for my job for base camp was then to be like right how do I get them from place a to place b and what with my knowledge and experience and what exercises can I put in for them to be able to move through And then in terms of work on it however you feel you work best. So for me, I need to kind of do a big deep dive once a week and then just leave it and go and do something else. I'm not very good at little and often. I need to go all in and then all out, but play with how you work best. And then I would also say to either preempt or set up a pre-order so that you actually get it out there and you can start getting some feedback as you're working on it. So rather than create it in your like little cloistered tower and then unleash it upon the world, say that you're creating it, share a bit of the process so you can get some feedback back from people. So you can say things like, oh, this is what the course is about. What are some things that you're really finding you're struggling with in this? Or I'm debating between X and Y, what do you think? So that people can be involved and know that it's coming and also that you get some good insight. Okay, the next question is, When trying to find your why, how do you know that you found it? We all want to be able to check a box that says that we're done and we can move on. And I know that lots of people feel so frustrated about the why because it's literally the opposite of a checkbox. So if you're looking for criteria to know that you can check that box and move on, then you're really not going to find it because A, it's such a personal, intuitive thing that it will show up differently and quicker and faster for different people. And B, your why is a fluid thing that evolves with you. So it's never an inverted commas done thing. My advice would be to ask yourself rather than, is this my why? Does this feel right right now? Does this feel true for where I'm at now in my life? Does this give me a place to move forward from now? And then you can keep checking in on it. From my experience, the moments where I've done an exercise or written things out and kind of been surprised by what I saw or where I felt fired up about something is where it's come closest to really understanding it. But I can't say that I've ever got to a 100% this is it self-actualized it's all there never going to change done place with it so focus on it being right for right now and don't try and box yourself in too much because the more that you try the less that it will work you've just got to get used to checking in with yourself and, and learning things and quite often people find that it's really simple I say this in the kit, it's it's often the, the simplest version 
because it's a, it's a base thing. It's a very base primal thing. And it's the way that you communicate it that kind of makes it seem more fancy. So it might be that you're kind of seeing stuff and be like, well, that can't be it, but it is. So it is there, it's what drives you. Okay, so the next question is, I'd love to hear more about what product-based businesses can offer to email subscribers. So yes, I know that a lot of the advice out there is very kind of service heavy where it's about workbooks and all that kind of thing. So for product-based businesses, offers are always going to be effective, which I know not everybody always wants to do and I am inclined to agree. So even if you keep them as kind of time limited as a campaign that, you know, if you sign up in the month of September, you'll get 10% off. But also think about how you can do value ads as well as or instead of discounting. So maybe they get a free gift with their purchase or something like that. So you're not just getting people in because they want the discounts. And thinking about things like competitions as well. So anybody who signs up in September will get entered into a draw to win X, things like that to kind of generate a monetary value that's not just 10% off, 20% off. Above and beyond that, think about the person that you want signing up to your list and what's going to be hard for them to say no to. So that doesn't have to just be the offers. It's really thinking about what do our people like. So for example, let's say you are a candle company and you're into a lot of like aromatherapy and things like that. Maybe actually promising that they get a meditation when they sign up or a kind of book of journaling prompts that they can do while they're burning their candle. That's probably the sort of thing that somebody who wants to buy an aromatherapy candle is going to find hard to say no to. Other things like a guide for a DIY, if that's something that your people would be drawn to, uh, a recipe book, something that feels like them and that feels like you. So really kind of think outside the box and go really think about that person and what they like and why they're going to be interested in your business and create something along those lines. The other thing to do as well is to make your email enticing enough as it is. So actually the offer of receiving that newsletter is the thing that gets them to sign up. So maybe you have something like a book club or exclusive interviews, things that are really that they can only get through signing up to the email as part of the email and that that's that's what entices them. Okay, so I feel I have a good product, but I realise it's niche. How do I reach more people? So if your product is niche, it means that your target customers are niche, which is good because there's kind of only limited places to find them. You've not got the problem of too much choice, so you can get really focused quite quickly. So using your own knowledge of the market, researching competitors, asking existing customers, find out where people are looking for information about your niche. Where are they already buying from? Who do they trust within that niche? And then outreach and pitching to be in those places is going to be key. If you are in a really niche space, it's going to be really helpful to be really visible there, to know and be known by other people operating within that niche so you can be part of the ecosystem and get referrals and just be seen while you're there. It's also going to be easier to be more of a magnet 
So focus on creating very specific SEO rich content so that when people are looking for information, if it's a niche, there's not going to be a lot out there. So make sure they can't help but find you when they're looking for things in your niche. Okay, next question. How do I get amazing testimonials? I mean, the flippant thing to say is to to do amazing work, be so good that people want to give you a testimonial, but I know that's also not particularly helpful, but do bear that in mind that if you want an amazing testimonial, you, you've got a part of that as well. You've got a part to play in that. But I'd say to make it as easy for people as possible to give you one. I mean, we all do it where people ask us for something and then we're like, oh yeah, we'll do that later. And then we never do. So uh, something that I do is I use a questionnaire. So I'll send the link to it and then there's questions for people to answer. So rather than them having to sit and rack their brains and think about what to say and how to start it, they just have to answer some questions, which is easier. You can pre-write a testimonial and ask them to sign off on it. Are you happy for me to put your name to this? Or is there anything you'd like to change? If you've had a nice message or an email from them, ask, can I actually use this as, as a testimonial and copy and paste what they've said? So yeah, make it as easy as possible for people and make sure they have to give as little thought to it as possible. Another thing I've seen somebody do actually is ask early. So rather than ask after you've finished your work with someone and they're kind of moved on with their life, ask it a couple of weeks before the end. So it's all kind of wrapping up. They've got enough experience with you to know what that they want to give you one, but they also feel a little bit more obliged because they're still, you're not quite at the end of the process yet. So that might be something that you find helps. How to decide between bringing out new products versus promoting current products. So this is kind of something that I'm not particularly great at myself because I always have new ideas that are so shiny and I want to play with them. But yeah, let's let's roll back from that because you can't always be creating new stuff because products and things need time to bed in for people to get them. And if you just whisk them away before they've kind of decided they want them yet, you're not giving time to create that loyalty to a product and a brand. So I'd say that look at how much time you have and how you're feeling. So if pushing an existing product is going to be easier in a kind of busy period, so say for Christmas, rather than I've got to bring out something new, I'm actually going to double down on these existing things because I've got loads of stuff to do and I've got all loads of material around these existing products that's just going to be easier. I think that to start thinking about if people are asking for something new or that they are talking about in your audience or in your asking you questions about something that you don't have a product to answer, then that's probably a sign that it's time to create something new. If you're having a petering out of sales in one line, then that's probably a sign that it's kind of got to the end of its life and that might be time to bring something new. Maybe if you've learned something new and you want to bring it to others, that's always a good way to bring in a new product and kind of develop the business in that way. I'd also say to look at your year as a whole and see where there's space. So it might be that depending on the rhythm of your business, spring is always a great time to launch new things. It's something that happens in the rest of your industry or it's a time where you get lots of new traffic for whatever reason. So that might be a time to be like, right, 
this is a good time to get a new product out there. Whereas if there's a slower period, maybe that's a good time to start developing something, but not maybe bringing it out. Or like I said, if you've got really busy periods, then you don't want to be giving yourself extra projects on top. So that's a time to just focus on your existing lines. So yeah, look at the rhythm of your business, your year as a whole, and start to plot out the times which is for new and what's for old and focus on those things and those times. Okay, so how important do you think engagement is in terms of conversation and comments? So this is a question that could be answered in so many different ways as it really depends on how you're defining important. What I want to say is that with Instagram in particular, it seems we get funneled into this one size fits all version of what is inverted commas good rather than what our business actually needs. So we kind of see this imagined set of rules, part of it's blanked out, we don't know what to do, but we want to follow the rules because we want to be good. But actually, the question should really be, is engagement going to help me achieve my own unique business goals? So what Instagram does for me and for the next person isn't going to be what it needs to do for your business. So for some people, it's going to be a traffic driver. For other people, it's actually more a place where they connect with their community. For others, it's just a kind of base there to have it so people can discover them there but it's just not really that important as a part of their marketing mix so get really clear about what you actually want Instagram to do for your business what it's best set up to do and then what are the things that need to happen in order for Instagram to do that job so you need to take control of your account because you control it, you decide, not the other way around. It's not the boss of you. So define what you want it to be and what you want it to do and then just follow that path, which I know is easier said than done, especially when you see all the other things and what other people have and we worry that we're not doing it. But ultimately, there are no set rules. You have to do what's right for you and your business. I've written before about how engagement is something that I really struggle with from a personal perspective. So I worry a lot about falling short for people and feel very exposed in those conversations that happen in comments and things. So for a long time, the way I dealt with that was by just not looking at it at all and kind of just blocking it out. So my business carried on. So in that ways, it was kind of not important, but my Instagram did stagnate a little bit and actually eventually the guilt of not being there became stronger than the feeling of safety I was getting from it. So I guess I say that example just to show that it's not as black and white as yes, it's important. No, it's not important. You've got to feel your own way through it. What advice do you have for creating a website? What elements do you consider essential? Okay, so my big one is please, please, please don't wait for it to be ready. You know, capital R, ready. So in Basecamp, I can encourage people to think about the minimum viable product. And it's so true for websites. So what is the minimum that you can have there for it to start doing a job? The more we wait for something to be ready, the more we're waiting to get started. And it's not helping us in any way, shape or form when actually it could be. So if I was starting a new website for something new today, 
the first thing that I would put up would be an about page. So that's where people could get to know the story and the inspiration behind the business. I'd kind of talk about the history, why the business is coming up, the problems that I want to solve with it, how I got to that point. The second thing would be a blog or at least a place if writing isn't your forte, a place where you can go into more depth and tell stories about the brand and what was being created. So that's so that you can have constantly refreshing new content on there and that people who find the website have got things to get stuck into, to stay on the site, to to learn about what you're doing in a more in-depth way that you can do on a single about page. And what you're also doing by blogging is create that audience create traffic, create SEO, and just it's what makes the website alive. So thirdly, what I do is make sure that there was an email sign-up form. So for people who were inspired by the story and want to know about how to get more out of it or, or know when you're launching, when you're ready, that there's something for them to do. There's a call to action there that they can do rather than go back off and, and forget about you. How do I get people from likes on Instagram to making purchases? So I really feel your pain. So the first thing that I'd suggest is actually just to make sure that people know you have things for sale. We never want to be pushy and we we kind of assume that everybody knows what we do, but really what we're doing is hiding our lights under a bushel. And probably if you're not talking about it regularly, a lot of people don't always know that you've got things for sale. So make sure that you're you're saying it regularly and unashamedly telling people that they can buy from you and how they can do it. That's kind of like your, your first thing to do, but otherwise I'd kind of start to think about it differently. So think about the chain of activity. So a like to a purchase is a really big leap. So you yourself probably like people's pictures, but you're not really in a place where you're ready to purchase from them yet. So instead, focus on the small steps between the like and the purchase. So get them to go from a like to a comment. So maybe by inviting engagement or inviting conversation in the caption. Aim to get them onto your website first and foremost because they have to get there. So by having things for them to read or or something to see that's interesting on there that's going to draw them over. And then once they're on the site, get them from reading that blog post to clicking over to the product page. If we focus on I need to make a sale, we can fall into a trap where we can seem a bit pushy or even a bit desperate, which is what you quite often see on Instagram, especially where people are trying to get the purchase before people are ready. And it's just makes nobody feel good. So instead, think about setting up a trail of breadcrumbs, leading someone through lots of small actions until they find themselves in a place where they're ready to buy. There's nothing you can do to stop them needing to make that journey to buying. It's not just a, a quick decision they have to make a journey to get there and so you have to help them take their hand and take them through it. Tips for navigating the initial slow periods when you've launched but no one has bought yet. So what I say is make yourself so busy with creation and visibility that you can't hear the crickets. 
And I don't mean to distract yourself with the kind of busy work that's not going to move you forward. So fiddling around on websites or or with email templates are the really common culprits there. What I mean is to really throw yourself into being as visible as possible so that you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're distracted, but with efficient activity that's moving you forward. So throw yourself into creating blog posts or Instagram posts or podcasts or whatever it is that you do that are going to really demonstrate what you offer and, and show what you have to give. Create some free challenges or some offers to generate interest, pitch to podcasts or to guest posts or do Instagram takeovers or, or to collaborate with people so that you can be seen and heard as a voice in that space that you want to be known in. Be really proactive with engaging with your existing community. So replying to comments, yes, but going out and giving comments so that people can see you because the people who already know you are going to be closer to buying than brand new people. So that's what I'd say is just be really visible with your engagement and create loads of stuff so that you've got it all there. So and know that it, it will come, but that just helps you to get through that period of trust. How do you cope with the rejection that is inescapable when doing outreach? Yes, this is a funny one. So if you are pitching to magazines, magazines especially, but also to podcasts or bloggers or whatever it might be, you're not going to be a good fit for everybody or it's not going to be the right time for everybody. So yes, rejection is an inescapable part. So it is first and foremost just accepting it as part and parcel of the process and one thing that I heard Sarah say I think on hashtag authentic once was to think of the reasons that are nothing to do with you that this rejection has happened so that it doesn't they've done something similar recently or they have they're thinking ahead to a different season so it doesn't quite fit in things like that what are all the reasons that are nothing to do with me that might have caused this and as it is part and parcel of the process you've got to be working in terms of volume I always send if I'm doing outreach I will send lots at a time so I don't get too attached to this one pitch working out because if it's only going to be a small percentage that do work out you need to be sending out lots more in order to kind of get that percentage your chances up and also I tend to think that the no isn't the end or even if you've been ignored, that's not the end, that I can follow up with something new in three, six months' time. So it's it's a cycle, it's a secular kind of activity rather than the no being the end. There's still, you can always circle back around to it. Okay, so next one is how to price an offering when some of your audience are broke students or unpaid interns. Yes, this is always a tricky one. And what I'd say is, to create the thing to a set price point. If your audience, you know that the financials is going to be a huge sticking point, you've got to create the thing to the price point that they can afford. You know, if you don't have £100, you don't have it, no matter how you sugarcoat it or cut it up. So rather than create a course or a product and then I'd be like, oh, well, this is worth £500, I actually think, okay, this needs to be £50. So then what does the thing need to be in order for it to be worth £50? As part of that as well, aim for volume. So if your people can only afford £25, £50, you're going to need 
more people to take your course or whatever it is than if you can charge a thousand pounds. So have that in mind that while you're pricing it and creating the thing that this is a volume driver and even though the individual product isn't going to bring you a lot, it's the volume of it that does. And also just to to make paying for it as accessible as possible with generous payment plans and things like that so that it's easier for, for it to be a yes for people. How can we increase our own website sales away from Etsy? So yeah, this is a, a really tricky thing because everybody wants to get to a point where they're getting their sales direct. And this question asker also did say that they're doing a lot of blogging and Instagramming, which is also a really good thing to be doing to kind of generate traffic and connection with you as a brand rather than Etsy. So if you can look at how people are finding you via Etsy, so any stats that you get from them or the kind of things that they're buying, and do some SEO work on your own website to make sure that you're targeting the same kind of buyers with what they're looking for. As you probably know, I very rarely recommend ads, but if you want to start driving more traffic to your website and getting people there, that is something that you can look at, particularly with product-based businesses, just doing a few social ads to get people to your site rather than Etsy and just test it, see how it is. Focusing on developing your email list. So if you can get people signed up to that list, then they're kind of committed to you and also you're then in control of that relationship. So with your emails, you can be sending them product information and all that kind of stuff that means they're gonna be buying from you, not from Etsy. You could do things where you have either products or like colors or things which are exclusive to your own site and not available on Etsy and then make sure that you've got it in maybe in the product description or something like that. You know, if you want blue, you can only get that from our site and link it and things like that so that there's a reason for people to go from Etsy to your own site and that it's linked everywhere on Etsy. It's all linked. And also recover your existing customers. So if you've had customers that have bought through Etsy, I know that you don't always get the email address, but you do obviously have their postage address and things like that. So it's starting to make them think of you not as that thing they bought from Etsy, but as you, the brand. So when you send out their product, make sure that you're putting things in the packaging that kind of makes them think of you rather than Etsy. You can send them things in the post or things like that where you can recover that relationship and make them feel like they know you. Okay, this is a kind of long one. (laughs) So this person said that you, as in me, talk a lot about the importance of being present and how critical that is. And yet you also talk about not doing the things that you really don't want to do. What if the thing that you really don't want to do is Instagram stories with yourself talking? Is that crucial or optional? So what I say is when I talk about presence, it's the presence of your brand rather than the presence of your face. So a face can obviously really help to provide a human element and particularly if you're a service-based business where a relationship with you is kind of a key part of what somebody's buying, then it's helpful, but it's not always crucial. You can be present with your words and imagery, with your engagement. So You can be present by posting every day on Instagram, by putting up written out stories, by replying to people, but also being really proactive with getting in front of people, by 
guest posting in different places. So look at like the big brands like the supermarkets and things like that where who are really present in our lives, but we never see the face of the CEO, right? So they are still finding a way to be present, but without showing a face. So just look at kind of what they're doing. They're telling stories, they're showing imagery, they're being everywhere, but without needing to show a face. So I hope that helps there. How do you stay motivated to create when you've got a new business whilst working as well? Okay, so first of all, what I'd say is to make sure you know how you're motivated. So something like a Myers-Briggs test or the Gretchen Rubin four tendencies test will really help you to see, you know, how internally your brain is wired to be motivated and keep motivated. And from there, you can kind of be like, oh, right, well, maybe I need to do X, Y, Z. With things like motivation, it's a case of really playing around to see what works for you as an individual. So maybe that you need lots of accountability, either from a friend or from an actual public audience. Maybe actually that's the opposite of what you need and you need it to come from yourself and to make that time. My advice would also be to use more carrot than stick. So rather than kind of beat yourself up to do it, set aside a weekend day or or an evening that will be your creation time and make it really lovely. So go to a favourite cafe or buy yourself your favourite cake and make a pot of tea and kind of curl up and make it a lovely thing to do so you can look forward to it as a treat rather than another thing I have to do. I also think it's useful to a lot time when you do work on your business and time that you don't. So for example, it might be that on Mondays, you're always completely exhausted. So give yourself permission not to do work on the business and actually not to think about it on that day and just sit on the sofa and that's fine. And then you can switch it back on, on a Thursday where maybe you finish a bit earlier. So yeah, hope that helps. Okay. And our last question is, any tips for where and how to market an evergreen course? So this is quite timely because it's what I'm experimenting with now because Basecamp is an evergreen course that you can take whenever you're ready to. So the biggest struggle with evergreen is that there's never a reason why people need to commit. So for one of a better phrase, there's no FOMO to, to kind of take advantage of. So the decision sometimes will never quite get made to actually buy the course because there's no deadline. So once we know this problem with Evergreen, we can start to think of ways to solve it. So what I'm experimenting with at the moment is to find ways to make sure that it's really present in people's minds. So when they need it, they know it's there. So it's going to be mentioned in my newsletters and I'll talk about it in my Instagram, you know, regularly, if not frequently, regularly. So that as soon as people think, oh, you know what, I really need some help with this, it clicks that Basecamp exists. So do outreach as well in the places where the people who need it might be. So whether that's a particular blogger or a platform or podcast where people who need your course kind of gravitate, put it there so they all know that it's there. And the third thing I'm doing is running campaigns to generate deadlines. So like I said at the beginning about the sprint, that is killing two birds with one stone because it's there for people who need the accountability and for whom self-ledge doesn't really work. But also it means for me, 
it gives me a deadline to work to because if you want that accountability and the support you need to sign up by you know the second week of September in order to get it so it generates a deadline to work to so that's something to think about as well okay so I think that's my last question so all the links or resources that I mentioned will be on my website which is simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast and you can find me on instagram at simpleandseason as always if you think you have a friend who'd really benefit from this episode maybe there's a question that you think will really resonate with them please do send them the link to listen and as I'm back from a massive break it would be really really useful if you haven't already to leave a rating and review there in the app where you're listening just to kind of give the podcast a bit of a boost and help people find it again and until next time I hope you grow a soul